All right, what is up, everybody? We are back on episode 26, and we are sitting with Samit Parekh. And I am, I feel honored to have our first fan in the building who also organized this, uh, this podcast for us and did a lot of the coordinating, played a little bit of Cupid, Artem Shiroshkin. Thank you for setting this up. He's in the peanut gallery back there, <laughs> just making sure things don't get out of hand. That's but my boy. As always, uh, I know how busy you are and we really appreciate you taking the time. No, no, no problem. Glad to be here and. Uh, you know, I do whatever Artem says. So uh, he says to come, we'll says, you're, says you're the man, so uh, here I am. We're going to edit that for sure. <laughs> so, I mean, it, th this is actually really fun for me because I actually, outside Artem, I've had some other people mention you, um, your background. Um, you're a really impactful person in the city here. Uh, but I also don't know a lot. This is our first time meeting. And this is, for me, sitting down first time meeting is, is always a unique and fun experience because I'm learning on the fly. Um, so for me, I guess someone of your stature, it's always good going back to, to day one. And, and I guess talk about where, where you grew up, how this all started, some things that people might not know. Yeah, no worries. And, and by stature, you know, I'm only five, five, six. So, you know. Well, the camera ads. <laughs> camera yeah, ads. All good. <laughs> uh, no, I'm actually uh, one of the, one of the, the relatively few San Diego born and bred. Um, I grew up here in, uh, in Encinitas cool. and, um, yeah, my, my dad, he's Indian. He came over, uh, for uh, his MBA to Dallas, um, back in the, I guess it would be like the late sixties and then moved to San Diego in the early seventies. And then he was like, dude, this is, this is paradise. And so he never left. Oh. Um, so yeah, I grew up, grew up here and, uh, uh that's kind of where it all happened. I went to school, uh, here in, in, in town at, uh, at La Jolla Country Day for high school. I, I, I was thinking about it earlier. I was listening to some of your other podcasts, and you've got guys who've really overcome adversity, come, came from Russia, grew up in a trailer park, yeah, got hit yeah. by cars. I was like, man, these guys are all, <laughs> like, really gone through a lot. I, I am fortunate enough that um, I kind of had, like, what you people come to San Diego for, which is, like, a, a pretty simple... Uh, suburban lifestyle had no, you know, family drama or anything like that. But sure, yeah. um, I had a lot of, you know, I was fortunate to have um, my family kind of, you know, my, one of the things my dad's always kind of been a big believer of is education. And so mm. he, he put me into private school and I had all the kind of opportunities that I, that I think that come with that. Um, I probably took them for granted at the time. I wasn't really a, a great student kind of, uh, you know, growing up, I was kind of into sports and, you know, what is actually, I, I always tell my wife and others have asked me about, you know, how I got into where I am now. And I was like a total C student, you know, really? in, in high school. Uh, didn't really care. I was kind of more into sports and girls and hanging out and doing things like that uh, with buddies. And so uh, it wasn't until really my senior year that I was like, wait a second, all my buddies are going to like great, great colleges. And I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, without direction. And so, um, that's kind of where I feel like I kind of realized I need to kind of get my act together. Totally. Well, and it's funny because we have had some stories and some stories that have come out of nowhere. And I know the ones that you were talking about that you saw and watched that I didn't even know was, was coming onto the show. And, and it's funny, and, I, and I'll, I'll take this guy's quote who actually was the last person sitting in your chair. He said that success leaves clues. And I think adversity sometimes builds the character to, to get to a successful road, but it's not always the case. You know, a lot of people go through 
a lot of adversity and they end up on the wrong side of the road. Yeah. Um, so we've had people on the same thing, like who have had, had very little adversity, um, but they still, you know, wh- where they've wound up, we always kind of reconnect the dots and pin, pinpoint yeah. how they got there. So I think I always ask too, for someone who's gotten to, to your success level, was that something that you grew up around? Like your, your father, yeah. your family, were, were you watching that? Because sometimes you, I mean, obviously emulate and, 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 and family's a big part of your emulation. Was that something that you saw growing up? Yeah, no, I, that's absolutely right. I mean, my dad's, my dad's a great guy, worked hard, overcome a lot coming from India and working in business. I mean, I think, you know, um, if he were a doctor or a, somewhere in the professional services kind of field, he would be, his success would be based on his, I guess, his skill set. Mm-hmm. But in business, it's a lot more about, you know, networking and meeting people and, and uh, for him to kind of do the, you know, overcome his I guess being an immigrant and with, sure, with a heavy yeah. accent to succeed in business, I've always um, feel like his work ethic is probably the number one thing that I've kind of taken away from him and probably was led to, to my success. Mm. Um, you know, but like, like I said, I was, you know, I was in high school and I didn't, I didn't have that mm-hmm. until I saw that my friends were kind of going to these schools and, you know, something kind of clicked, you know, I, I kind of realized that I didn't have a plan. Um, I remember talking to this guy randomly at the Ramona State Fair when I was like, I don't know, 17, 18. And he's got two like Rose Bowl rings on his hands. Mm. And I'm like, oh, who's this guy? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started chatting with him and he's like, he's like, man, like, I, I had these players I, you know, that were on my team. He's telling me like he was, I don't even know who this guy was. He played <laughs> for Michigan in the Rose Bowl and he kind of like was talking to me like, he's like, you know, where are you going to go to school? I was like, I was like, I'm going to San Diego State, you know, for, and then I'm not really sure what I want to do. And he's like, you know, let me tell you how this is. He's like, he's like, if you don't get your act together, you know, you're going to be left behind. And, sure. um, you know, all the things that you care about now, like sports and girls and all these other things that you're, you're wasting your time on, those will come to you when you kind of, you know, get your, get your act together down later in life. And so, I, uh, I kind of was, yeah, you know what? I, I started to get kind of angry. I got, got a little bit mad at myself for not really having that kind of direction. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, when I went to San Diego, I went to San Diego State to start, and then I transferred to USC. Um, and from that point forward, like I said, I, I was like a B or C student, you know, my whole life. And at that point forward, I kind of really applied myself, and I didn't realize that I hadn't been applying myself. Mm. And um, kind of built the confidence and kind of, kept going and I've, I've always kind of had um like a three to five year plan and even at that at that, I, young? That, that was that was when I first realized that I I need to kind of think about where I want to be that sure that random guy who I, I should find out who it was I um, was about to ask you did you find I, out who I, it was I, I've thought about this story a lot you know when I talk about it with my friends or other people who've asked me and I'm like I, I wish I knew who that guy yeah, was because yeah. clearly he was he was uh, somebody somebody yeah and um, I kind of realized that's like, where am I going to be in three years? And I think that's kind of been the theme of my, I guess, my career and my, my progression is like, well, what is the next step? Sure. And, and so I kind of figure that out at some point and then I kind of work towards that. And, and so, yeah, so um, I went to San Diego State and then I, I, for whatever reason, I wanted to go to USC because uh, I wanted to study business. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I would get queasy when... 
I was in biology class in high school. So I was like, yeah, science is not going to be for me. <laughs> and so... Uh, so did you go into college with a certain direction you wanted to take? Yeah. I, I, I knew I wanted to be in business, but I didn't okay. know what type of business. My dad was in real estate, but I didn't know if that's something I wanted to do at that point. And um, there was a company called Deloitte, a uh, big, big mm-hmm. firm. Uh, and they have a consulting group that basically... You know, they go to other businesses and help them fix their internal problems. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I, I can go learn about other businesses. And so I figured out how to get into that company. At that time, they didn't recruit at USC. So, you know, I called a friend who had a, a brother that worked there. And then I called, a, you know, I, I would go to UCLA or other schools where they were recruiting sure, and yeah. go to those go to their job fairs and figure out how to meet the recruiter. And eventually this lady was like, I've gotten your resume from like six different people. <laughs> like, okay, we'll interview you. And oh, so I, uh, yeah, I've somehow managed to get my foot in the door there. And it was an amazing experience. I you know, got to travel around the country working with different companies from aerospace and defense to grocery stores mm. and everything in between. Um, and that program was set up for you to go to business school. So it was like, Mm. Basically, it's a three-year program. At the end of three years, they send you to business school. And while I had an amazing experience there, one of the things I realized was like, man, these guys, these senior partners that work at this firm, they're crushing it, but their lifestyle is worse than me as Mm. an analyst or as a junior guy. I was like, I always perceived success as like... Worse in what way? Um personal life like like mm-hmm. they, they were on the plane 24 7 sure they yeah. were at the beck and call of a client you know all the time mm-hmm. i was like okay maybe the the experience was good but i think that's kind of when i realized i wanted to do something more entrepreneurial or something where you know the the more you do it the more success you have the more you are your own boss you yeah know, doesn't yeah so yeah um so yeah at that point i i went to business school realized i didn't want to go back to consulting and um, I really liked the finance side of, of you know, investing and things like that. And at that time, my dad had a heart attack, mm. and he lived, and he was already in real estate. And you know, I realized at that point, it was like, wow, if he had passed away, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about real estate. And if if that were to have, you know, if I had the responsibility of managing some of the investments and properties he had, I wouldn't know what to do. Mm. So um, when I went to business school, I said, okay, I'll study both finance and real estate and that way I'll kind of see if I can dual track this. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so I did that and then I was fortunate to get it. I was planning on coming back to, to San Diego uh, or LA at the time and um, was fortunate to get a job in New York. Um, and uh, I think it, when I went to New York, you know, I thought I was working hard and doing well in school and things were going good. But when you go to New York, you realize how how, like you learn to work, yeah. You know, yeah, like people yeah. there. I mean, I, 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 my first year, I was getting, I had dinner at the office six days a week. Mm. Like I wasn't even going home for dinner, mm-hmm. and so I was working until ten o'clock or whatever every night, um, and uh, and so I was, I was getting my butt kicked. And I was like, wow, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I came back to San Diego, um, you know, over Thanksgiving one, one, one holiday. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can, if I'm cut out for, for this kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a dream job working with this big, big finance firm. And um, I came back to, New, I came back from the, from the trip, back from Thanksgiving, back to New York. And 
you come over the bridge and you see the skyline. And I was like, no, this city will not crush me. <laughs> so <laughs> I basically, I, I stuck it out and I'm glad I did. And, you know, as you kind of figure it out, you know, like I, I grew to love New York and love the job I had. And, um, it was, it was an amazing experience while I was there. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like some of the, my most, my most experience came from jobs, young, fresh out of college that uh, I didn't necessarily like, but I learned a lot of, I think you can learn what you want to do, but it taught me what I definitely do not want to do, yeah. you know? And I think being in like, whether it's a big firm, I've done the cubicle position, you know, there are some people that that are cut out for it in that field, yeah. but you also learn really quick, okay, I can, I can check the box. I definitely don't want to do that. And it's funny, I come from, my, my mother was a, a federal court reporter and I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And I kind of did the same and she's like, well, hey, I'll let you go shadow yeah. a lawyer two shadows. And I was like, I don't want to do this. You know, you learn real quick. That's why I <laughs> yeah, tell like totally. running a business and entrepreneurism is, is so pop. It's never been more popular than it is now, but I still always encourage people like, no, go out and, and taste and touch other things first. Even if it means going to work for someone yeah. in, in a job that you might not like, because it'll teach you what you don't want to do. Uh, I, I must've had six or seven internships mm -hmm. between, you know, while I was in college, you know, corporate, I, I worked at Ford motor company one, one summer, I, you know, I've worked at startups and I did all kinds mm -hmm. of like stuff. I mean, mostly at the time it was just to get a job and get some sure, experience. Yeah. I wasn't really thinking that I wanted to be in the automotive field, for example, but you see what it means to work at a big bureaucratic company. You're like, no, thank you. Yeah. And it's wild because there are a lot of people who that's what they want. They want yeah. the structure. They want to be told what to do. Yeah. They want to show up and they have a, a list of things. And, and that's totally fine too. I think we've just kind of ostracized that it's entrepreneurism or nothing at all, yeah. which is a scary thing to jump into if you've never experienced all those other things that, that you don't want to do. Um, but I'm curious because you, your dad growing up, you said he was a businessman. He never, he never like pushed you hard in his direction. Yeah, it was always weird because he, he never pushed me. He, he was always about, I work hard so you can do what you want to do. Mm. And he didn't want to necessarily influence me into real estate. Um, you know, I was always kind of a little, not have hurt feelings, but I was always like, oh, dude, you don't want me to, you don't want me to come join you? At the, and, yeah, yeah. and he never like, never said that overtly. Um, but then I think as I got into real estate more and more, like, um, I think it was good. I, I think mm -hmm. I found my own path. I mean, my dad learned it like the old school way. Like he mm -hmm. kind of learned it on the streets. He started off as a, as a broker and then mm. basically um, went on his own. Whereas I learned it the institutional way, you know, we're in, I did investment banking and private mm -hmm. equity. They had very set spreadsheets and numbers and math. And my dad can look, you know, put his finger in the sky and say, yep, that's a good deal. And I'm like, okay, like <laughs> this is a very, very different approach than um, what a big firm would do. So, it's been good and that, you know, I learned it a different way than he did. And I, now I can learn from him and get a little bit of both. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah it, you know, it really wasn't until 2009 when I was in New York, you know, getting continuing to get crushed by that company, yeah, but, yeah. but, but learning a lot. I mean, I probably learned, you know, 10 years worth of work in five years. Um, but it was 2009 and my dad was out visiting me and I was like, you know, it, it would suck to be behind a desk during this downturn. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd love to kind of like, you know, maybe start doing some deals. And, and I, and I kind of was five years into New York and was ready to come back to San Diego and do something like that, uh, more entrepreneurial. Yeah, yeah. And, and he was like, look, you know, I, I missed the downturn. I missed the, I missed the run up and I missed the downturn. Uh, you know, if you want to come back, I'll, I'll back you. And I was like, done. And I, hmm. I basically was, it was like October or November, 2009. And you know, in in New York finance, 
every, you get a huge bonus at, in January. It's, mm-hmm. it's all, your, your compensation is more bonus driven. But I was just like, nah, dude, I, I'm not waiting around for January. I'm pieced out. And, really? I, and I came out and I, I've never looked back one day, except for that day, January 15th, where I'm like, ooh, that check would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, 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 you know, when you kind of know you got to do it, I, I felt like every day I was in extra in New York, I was kind of losing out on opportunity and mm-hmm. being here back in San Diego, like starting this new business. And so. Sure. Yeah. Was that a good, I imagine it was a good time just getting right over that 08, 09 to jump yeah. into it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that was, that was 2009 was probably the bottom mm-hmm. of the market. Um, you know, it took me probably about a year and a, and a few months to get our first deal done. We didn't close our first deal until January of 2011. Mm. So, you know, it, the first year was, it was just kind of reestablishing who I was and, you know, meeting, meeting people and kind of getting things going. But, um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's probably, you know, what makes me a little bit, I guess, excited about this current environment. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. been absolutely you know, terrible for, for us right now from a real estate ownership perspective, but it will create new opportunities like I had back in 2009. Sure, 2009. yeah. And, and is it, because I've heard, I've heard such mixed feedback on whether it's terrible or great from a real estate standpoint right now, and, and also too when they put side by side comparing it back to the 08, 09, mm. it, it is the majority of people in, uh, that have your experience classifying it as it's terrible time? Yeah, today's absolutely okay. disastrous. Uh, I think if you happen to be in, let's say in the industrial space, mm-hmm. you know, where you're, you got warehouses and guys like in the e-commerce space are expanding mm-hmm. like crazy. Yeah, they're, they're, those guys are probably okay. Um, but generally, whether it's office space, retail, hospitality, they're all kind of getting crushed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a little bit of all of it, which is okay. I mean, we're, we'll be fine, but sure, yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not a good time to be in the real estate business. I was going to say, and I definitely want to catch up to speed there because I imagine you are taking all sorts of conversations and plea bargains and all sorts of shit out there. So I, I want to touch on that, but yeah. I also want to kind of bridge the gap between, you know, when you made that first deal in 2011 to now and how, how it's scaled and grown um, since then. Yeah. So first deal was in 2011 back in New York. Um, it was kind of through a relationship I had when I was working in New York. Um, and, you know, my view when I was in New York was it's great to do these like, you know, I worked at this big firm. They did these hundred million billion dollar real mm-hmm. estate deals. I was like, that's great. But like, you know, if you bought that one million dollar building, you turned it into two. That feels like a pretty good payday for somebody. I don't you don't need to do these massive deals. Mm-hmm. And the bigger the deals, uh, the more they become about financial structuring and not about the actual real estate. And mm-hmm. I really like the bones of a building and I like the real estate. So we kind of made an effort to say, well, we want to do whatever the deal is, whether it's big or small, if it's got, if it's really about the deal and the real estate, the long term, that's what we want to do. And so Mm. um, there are guys who out there who, who go what I call big game hunting and they're Mm -hmm. looking for that one massive deal and they may spend three years and they may not get anything done. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, Hey, every time we see an opportunity that makes sense, that we like, let's let's jump on it, even if it's not the biggest opportunity out there. So um, we started 2010 or 11 with that first deal. And then, you know, over the last, I guess, you know, nine or 10 years, we've done about 75 deals. Oh, wow. So we're averaging about, you know, five to seven deals a year. We still, you know, our firm, 
you know, I believe in the long term, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, you can get rich quick selling, buying and selling real estate, flipping it, but you kind of get wealthy, like holding, sure, yeah. you know, so watching neighborhoods change and being, thinking about the long term, having that three to five mm-hmm. year plan and, or, or in our case, usually five, five to 10 years or longer. Um, and so, yeah, we, we kind of started buying in the neighborhoods that we thought were on the up and up. And mm. um, we've, sold a, we've, sold, we've sold some deals here and there, and we still have about 55 or 60 deals under management. And were you, were you in one way, shape, or form involved with all every deal since then? Every deal, yeah. Every deal. And yeah. it'll always be that way, I imagine. Uh, you know, we now have an office in Oakland. Mm-hmm. I've got a business partner up there who's doing a great job. Um, and then we're opening an office in L.A. later this year. And so... Um, as we grow, it's hard to stay involved in every decision. Mm. But when it comes to making an investment decision, then yeah, like I'm going to like put eyes on it and walk it and figure out the business plan. We'll have our own internal like investment committee and really decide, mm-hmm. you know, is this the right risk reward kind of um, bet that we're taking? So I'm curious if this applies because you said you, you really like get involved with the, the bones of the property and, and more of an intimate approach is I had to learn a long time ago to be, I always call it being less romantic with some of the business, whether it's the people, the client, the whatever. And, and I had to not romanticize it a lot more because it made a lot more of the decision-making easier. Yeah. Does the same apply to real estate where you can't, if you get too roman- yeah. romantic with it? You can't fall in love yeah, with yeah. any deal. That's for sure. I, I, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, sometimes the ugly non-sexy deal is the best deal. And mm-hmm. probably some of our best deals are like, you know, crappy little strip centers in, sure, in neighborhoods yeah. that just provide a service to the people that live there and the tenants love it and they stay there and they're happy. And so, yeah, totally. And, mm-hmm. and I think that you can love the, the bones or you can see a vision through something, but mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily need to be aesthetically pleasing or yeah, yeah uh, for sure yeah no for well, sure I, I just imagine when you have i mean now you have the volume of deals you do and i'm sure that just it scales the amount of money and stress and and everything that goes into it um if you have to remove that any sort of emotional attachment yeah. to it i feel like my I, i'm emotionally attached to the deal structure mm. than the deal like the property itself or the the way it looks or the bones of it i i love the deals that were like really complicated to put together, sure, you yeah. know, or, or we came up with some really creative way of structuring the deal between the, the seller or the buyer and, and how it all came together. That's like the hustle part of it. Yeah, yeah. That's the part that I'm like, ah, oh, that was awesome. Yeah, I share a similar feeling. Was there one deal, one in particular of your years of doing this, one deal that, that stood out as like, it was a home run for you or something? Yeah, that yeah, there's a, every deal is like, is interesting. I remember one of the first deals we did in San Diego, um, I was being called by this broker saying, hey, there's this bank building in Chula Vista. The family's fighting. It's going to be sold on the courthouse steps, essentially, or in probate court. Mm. So he's like, hey, just bring a check for the amount. And, you know, like I've already teed it up with the court. I've, I've got you as the, the bidder. You're, you know, they hired me to find a buyer. You're, you're the guy. Just bring the check. Yeah. Like, okay, great. Sounds, sounds yeah. awesome. And, you know, the deal was, was, was fine. I show up. And there's another guy there with a check in his hand. I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? So I talked to, so I find out, you know, I'm like, the broker got another guy to come as well. Doing the same thing. Doing the same thing, but he had a check for a little bit more than my check. I was Mm -hmm. like, wait a second. And so 
I sit there in the courtroom and I, and I just like, screw it. I'm just going to walk up to this guy and be like, hey, are you? To the broker or the guy with no, the check? No, to the guy with the check. I was okay. like, oh, I'm like, I don't know who you are. You've never seen me before. But like, what's the deal here? And he's like, well, I was going to buy this building. I was like, I was going to buy this building. And so we sit there and we start chatting. He's, like, he's a really cool guy. I've become friends with the guy. And, and we say, you know what? Let's just do it together. And, and we'll, we'll buy it at the lower price, my, my amount. Sure. So we sit there while court starts, and he, he pulls out a legal pad, and we write a little contract on a piece of paper, basically on one piece of paper, mm -hmm. saying, we're just going to do this deal together. And, and we did a little awesome. handshake. I was like, dude, that's how deals get done. That was, like, that was, our, that was my first deal. That and is awesome. My, my good buddy Isaac, who, who was my, runs our Oakland office now, he's sitting next to me, and he's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Just act like, we're, act like we know what we're doing. And, and next thing you know, we... we, we what did you guys say to the broker? Oh, dude. You know what? Yeah. I, I love people. I think this is a people business, real estate yeah, is. Yeah. And, and I think I can sit down and have a beer with anybody. And luckily, I like 95% of the people I, I meet. But that 5% that I'm like, dude, that, you're dead to me. I never talk to him again. Did he, what was his angle? Like, what, what was the upside for him? I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't quite figured it out. I think he thought that maybe I, I might not show up or he didn't want to lose a commission. I, you know, I, brokers can be funny sometimes. I don't know. It's wow. hard to say. Okay, so jumping to modern day, you got you got a lot of deals on the table. You got an office in Oakland. What is your what's your, a normal day in the life for you? I guess let me ask, what is a normal day in the life pre quarantine? Yeah, for no, you. No. And, and then I definitely want to jump into how has this this little sure. nightmare yeah. we're, we're living um, through. The days, it, I love what I do. I love the deal business. I love finding opportunities. Um, so I try to spend my most of my day working on new opportunities, um, you know, obviously uh, managing my existing staff, mm -hmm. um, you know, managing my existing properties and tenants, that's obviously an important part of the job. I'm lucky to have a great team and mm. I've got uh, a CFO and a COO that kind of do that for me, um, a lot of the day-to-day the -day management stuff. Um, so I'm free to kind of focus on really bringing in new opportunities. And, you know, I spent a lot of time on the phone with, with brokers, with tenants, you know, mm -hmm. digging and finding and, you know, cre you know getting, getting deals. I, I would say of the 70 plus deals that we've bought, probably 60 of them have been not marketed deals. So they're not like an email blast yeah, yeah. going out, this building's for sale. It's like me talking to guys and, and finding, hey, this guy would sell if you do this. And that guy was, you know, it's that kind of stuff that really, um, you know, is where I spend a lot of my day. And then, you know, once we have a deal and, and we always got one or two things going at once, mm -hmm. um, we're working on raising money for it, you know, getting the right loan for it, um, making sure we have the right business plan, you know, hiring consultants and, and architects and whoever to kind of put the deal business plan together, make, it, make sure, sure it happens yeah. the way it should happen. And so, um, yeah, every deal has got a lot of different facets from finding it to putting it together then to actually running it and then, you know, eventually selling it. Um, and so I spend my time a little bit on everything, um, but I try to, the part that gets me the most excited is, is obviously finding the, the new stuff. Totally. So I guess that the next question would be, do you have any deals right now that you're working on that you can talk about yeah, that are really exciting? Um, we are in the process of buying uh, a life sciences building in Sereno. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, the life sciences space 
uh, is obviously going bananas. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even without COVID, it was yeah, already going yeah. crazy. And San Diego's really turning into quite a hub for it. Um, we we like the deal that we we've, we've put together there. Um, you know, we've been we've been we did a lot in downtown San Diego over the last you know five to ten years. Uh, as we believe this is where the the growth and residential population was going to come, and, mm-hmm. and it, that's happened. But as I look, you know, in the future, the areas that I think are starting to become more desirable or, or seeing a lot of growth are some of the coastal neighborhoods. Oh. So we've got a really cool project in downtown Carlsbad that we're under construction on. Really cool. Um, we signed the lease with uh, Warner Brothers Video Games, like their video game division there. That's pretty cool. We're, really cool. Yeah, I mean, look, it's good to get for San Diego to get that kind of talent and those kinds of companies to come down. Um, so that, that building's going to be, you know, badass. It's right on mm-hmm. right near the water and everything. Um, we're doing a, We just did a couple of deals uh, in Encinitas where I grew up. So it's cool. So, yeah, we're, we've got, I mean, we probably have three or four things that we're working on right now. I feel like I'm the only jerk trying to buy real estate in this market. Yeah, it's, yeah. Kind of, it's kind of nutty, but, you know, the deals are, they make sense. And I'm pretty conservative, so I feel like if, if it makes sense to mm-hmm. me, then it probably, probably makes sense. Well, I imagine there's a, a lot of people uh, abandoning ship or, or trying to get out and, and not to benefit from someone else's loss, but there's, there's a lot of people who are probably yeah. walking. There's definitely what people call the COVID discount, where mm-hmm. you know there was a value pre-COVID. Now there is this un- all this uncertainty in the market, and nobody knows where it's going to shake out entirely. Yeah. I mean, we all have our our guesses, and so you know we ha- a couple of these opportunities that we're working on now were things that we were chasing in January or February, mm. and then now they've come back, and the sellers said, "Well, okay, I'll, I'll lower my price, or I'll you know we'll, we'll accommodate the the change in the market conditions," and so. Um, they've come down to a level where we're, we feel good. That's cool. Yeah. So I'm curious to get your side of the conversation because we obviously between our, our office studio space here and we have a, a restaurant in East Village, a bar in Point Loma. Basically, we, we've had to do a lot of negotiating with yeah. landlords. Um, how has that been on your side of the table as far as there's got to be, I'm, I'm certain, a level of leniency. And we've, we've fortunately had fairly good goes at it. Um, it didn't help that we, the East Village, we opened in the middle of the pandemic. So it, there was a real understanding yeah. there. But I've also have business owner friends who didn't have the same, they didn't have the same uh, yeah. relationship or luxury. So how does that work? How do you pick and choose, I guess? Because right now, the way I, I, I felt when when the shutdown happened was, um, and, and nobody could, could really write how to react to this or, or the proper, and I, I think they're still five, six months in trying to, to write, hey, here's the uh, contingency plans for it. Um, but they kind of left it almost to the wild, wild west. Yeah, definitely. And, 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 and even for people personally who were renting, like their personal space, who now, you know, you look at the hospitality industry, which got hit first. A lot of those people, they don't make checks, they make tips. And their yeah. tips got cut like that. They're upside down. But there was no contingency for, hey, here's what's going to happen. Now put it on your level, which is so many, is magnified even further. How do you pick and choose and how does your staff like dealing with tenants because, you know, the bounce back is everybody I know is really waiting for the rebound from this. But now nobody would have thought we were just talking this morning. Nobody would have thought September. I remember when when the the mayor in L.A. was throwing out July in like April or May. And I said, oh, my God, I can't. Absolutely not. And we're almost in September. Granted, there's a portion still open. It's not like March or April. 
But the selection process on your end and the conversations, and oh, you said you 95% of the people you, you have a beer with, you have a relationship, so they've got to be leaning on the hey, oh, yeah. me. Oh, I, I, I definitely. All the time. I, you know, there was a period where every time my phone rang, it was like, it was bad news. It was, mm -hmm. it was some, it, it was pretty bad for a while. It was, I mean, and it's also depressing for me and my yeah, investors. Yeah. It was like, it's pretty sad. I mean, fortunately, because our business plans are long-term oriented, we're not looking to make a quick buck. We've set ourselves up in a way where we have some flexibility, I think. I mean, and we're not always, but, you know, we've tried, we've done over 160 different workouts, so to speak, with different oh, wow. tenants. I mean, we've cut, and, and, you know, I mean, different landlords have treated the process differently. Um, but our view is, like, we're only as good as our tenants, and I, I probably am more pessimistic than others, and I was like, fuck, this could be terrible, mm -hmm. you know? And, and if, if this restaurant guy goes out, there's not, like, three other guys to backfill him. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want my guy, I want to make sure everyone works, you mm -hmm. know? I don't need to make a profit. If we can just cover our, our service, our debt to the lender, yeah. then, then we'll provide whatever discount we can to the tenant so that um, they can survive, right? Mm -hmm. And so you know, we wanted to basically do whatever we could to make, make sure everyone made it through. And that worked out great. And, and at first we kind of said, everybody gets you know, the first couple months of had half rent or, or, or no sure. rent or whatever. We, we're trying to figure it out. And then we quickly realized, well, was like, wait a second. There are, there are some, some companies that are big. Mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I have no problem saying that. Like Petco, for example, they try to screw us in that mm. those are the kinds of companies that are actually thriving in mm -hmm. this environment, but they were like, well, everyone else is getting discounts. Why not mm -hmm. us? And, these, you know, and not to throw everybody under the bus, but like, there's a lot of guys who have try to be opportunistic about it. And I'm like... I really want to make sure that these guys who really can't operate, the guys who are closed or restaurant guys or mm -hmm. other businesses that, that, that aren't surviving uh, or having a, a really hard time of it, that they get through. And so now I think our process is a bit more nuanced and we're really like trying to dig into like every, every tenant's got a different story and a different deal. Totally. And so, you know, we've, like I said, we've come up with everyone's got a different structure. Um, it was tough in the beginning, and you know now instead of having ninety five percent of my phone calls be bad news, it's like half progressively better. <laughs> yes, it's, it's well, progressively. Well, I was going to say, was the direction you gave, and I'm sure the answer is yes, but to what degree? Back in March and April, the conversations. Now August, September, I guess what are what are those conversations? How how are those conversations different now? Because there, yeah. I'm sure there's still a handful of tenants who are like, dude, we kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel, but we're only getting a peak, and we don't know for certain you know yeah. and, and restaurants are still waiting i know the last i heard was september 1st to find out about indoor dining you know they're making do right now but i think everybody's realistic enough to know like nobody's running to the bank in the the restaurant yeah. industry they're, they're breaking even they're keeping their customer base oh, yeah, keeping doors sure. open people employed um is i guess how does the conversation change now saying hey we're we're right there but yeah. we're not fully there we we try to do because we had no idea what would happen we try to do basically two to three months deals mm. in the beginning because we're like is this going to come back in the fall or is it yeah. going to be worse or and so now we've kind of seen a bunch of guys obviously are still you know in a tight spot and some guys are started to kind of figure out how to how to make it work and mm -hmm. delivery and outdoor seating and and they're maybe able to pay a bit more um but yeah we're going back to basically everybody again and trying to you know figure out how to get them through the end of the year so 
I think with the restaurant guys and the ones where we kind of see it's going to be kind of a longer period, mm -hmm. we're cutting now longer term deals with them to the end of the year. And then some of the maybe more retail oriented guys were doing shorter term stuff. Mm. But um, do you have a lot of people coming to you for advice on both the tenant side and on, on your side on yeah. advice on what to do here? Yeah, I mean, and, and I, yeah, there's a lot of, I, I'm happy to talk to a lot of my friends and I've got friends that I do deals with and, you know, we talk about um, what, how our approach is and what, and what advice I could give them, but also we trade notes and say, oh, well, mm. how are you treating these kinds of guys and how, you know, how are we, you know, treating that? And so, mm. um, you know, there are some of these big, you know, big real estate, you know, landlords, big, big corporate companies that, um have a, a mandate and say, you know what, we're, we've given everybody, we're going to defer their rent for, for a year. Mm. I'm like, well, in the restaurant business, what does that do? They're not going to sell double the amount of food in a year. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. that doesn't really help. You have to kind of truly get them through that, not, not add a burden to a later period of time. So I think it's been through a lot of these conversations that people are um, figuring out, or we figured out our strategy at least by understanding how everybody else is doing it. For sure. And I know, I, I wanted to bring up, I know you were on the, the downtown partnership. And that, how long ago were you, I know you finished your time? Yeah, I was, I've been, I'm still involved with the, with the partnership, but I was the chair of the board uh, last year. Okay. So if you, if you had your partnership hat on right now, just kind of seeing the lay of the land, and, and I know you said you have an Oakland office, you're, you're really in two markets that are really vulnerable to, yeah. to COVID more than, I mean, spanning across the country, is I guess just even outside the real estate um, lens, what is your take on that? Because being involved with the downtown partnership, you had a lot of insight and knowledge that a lot of people don't have. And you're also, the partnership does a lot of good for the downtown. And I always tell people, I live down here, we work down here, and this is a hub for, for San Diego County, Yeah, is I guess, how do you see, you said you have a three to five year plan. If you were writing San Diego or Oakland's three to five year plan, how do you see it shaping up? It's a good question. I You know, the partnership, They've done a great job over, kind of went since the since COVID's hit, shifting from the big picture like hey like, you know let's keep attracting businesses to downtown to being like hey how do we help the businesses that are here mm -hmm. because I think we had to get really granular and we've been doing programs with um, you know helping you know, selling gift cards for example to yep, to a lot of the restaurant guys so they can get some near term cash flow. Um, and helping, you know, reaching out to all those guys, focusing more on homeless outreach and safety as mm -hmm. there's less people on the street and there's more, unfortunately, there's more homeless. Um, I think the three to five year picture is probably looking at whether there'll be changing demographics or uses of downtown or, you know, is tourism going to be less? Is the mm -hmm. convention going to be less? You know, are people going to want an office downtown? And how do we reinvent ourselves, so to speak? You know, you know, there is... There's a lot of big projects going on downtown now. Um, sure, yeah. You know, with Horton Plaza and, mm -hmm. and the Seaport area, and you know, how do we kind of get those things through? And, and mm -hmm. do they, do those projects you know need help attracting tenants? You know, do we bring those life sciences guys that are in Torrey Pines downtown? Sure. You know, what how does how does downtown going to change from maybe being a tourism you know nightlife oriented area to the next iteration of downtown. I mean, downtown's changed several times uh, over the last 20 years, right? Definitely. And uh, each, each uh, you know, five to seven years, it, there's a big catalyst, like whether it's the baseball stadium or 
you know, uh, residential development as it has been this last cycle. What's going to bring? What's going to be the next thing? And then having the partnership really think about how do we help that next thing happen sooner? Sure. So I have kind of a selfish question because I talk about this all the time as a resident and owning a business here. Um, and I know the partnerships are really involved with homeless outreach. I also didn't realize until recent how, how big of a problem it is, not just in San Diego, yeah. but California in general, is uh, I think if, if there was one thing I could, talk, I could talk on that I think is having an impact, it, it is homeless, both, both as a resident living down here and, and operating yeah. a business down here, is what, what is, uh, in your opinion and, and where you were sitting um, with the partnership, what do you think is the, the reality of it at least starting to tick down, downward? Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. I mean, a, and, and, really and that's one question. that you know the partnerships been battling and working on for for years uh, through various strategies and outreach programs, and the partnership has done an amazing job of outreach. Mm-hmm. You know, we have different programs that have got people help and back home and gotten into services. Um, and we're making we actually made real good progress over the last couple of years, bringing the numbers back. Well bringing them down. I don't know if that, nobody would be happy with where they were, but then with COVID, again, they're spiking back yeah, up yeah. again at the same time. Do you, do you know why? Um, well, they're housing a lot of folks in the convention center, that's yeah. for sure. Um, two, I think mental health is probably uh, one of the big issues. Um, you know, one, one naked guy running down the street is a lot more visually impactful and make you feel like there's a lot more homelessness going on Mm -hmm. than one guy in the corner sleeping in the backup behind a dumpster. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still one person, but that guy with the mental health issue that's going around, you know, naked is like, you know, makes ruins everybody's kind of evening or whatever it might be. And so um, it feels worse uh, when there's a lot more mental health issues out on the street. Mm. And I feel like, you know, whether... COVID is creating more stress or there's just more beds are at, hospitals are at capacity or whatever the issue might be, it feels like there's a lot more mental health cases Definitely. than there's ever been. Um, I think the police were obviously, you know, um, handcuffed as well, not no pun intended, Yeah, yeah. Uh, because they can't do what they would normally do. Um, I mean, they're a bit more sensitive, you know, after the, the you know, Black Lives Matter, George Floyd sure, stuff. So yeah. I think that, um, you know, they're trying to be respectful and try to find the right balance between um, policing the homeless and and helping them get help. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's it's you know through it all, it's been challenging. I think it will. Um, there's more attention focused on it. Uh, mm-hmm. At least there was pre-COVID than there ever on any, any other kind of social issue in San Diego. There's more attention now. There's more attention. There was pre-COVID. Now I think right, with right. COVID, I think that's probably the. But I think it'll hopefully go back to the homeless situation. Uh, once COVID is, is kind of hopefully in the rearview mirror. But, yeah, I think yeah. so too. Um, so I've, I've talked laps of this conversation with our cheerleader friend, Artem over there, <laughs> probably more than anybody in my network um, about, and, I, and, and what's, what's good is we always, we know each other's opinion is just an opinion, just like everybody else has an opinion. And right now the conversation in August, as it was in March on, on the bounce back from this is, you know, he, he's, he's kind of put in my ear, really honing in on 2021. I always try to see the glass half full, but I think in the last month, everybody's had their glass just tipped over. <laughs> so there is no glass, there's no water, there's nothing. Is, is I'm curious to hear you from a, from a, 
normalcy standpoint, you know, where are you setting, uh, I guess, your expectation? Is it a 2021 thing? Um, is it deep into 2021 that we start, you know, at least we don't sit in a room and talk yeah. about COVID anymore, that it's, yeah. it's not um, something that's impacting or influencing our business, our personal lives, our podcast conversations, <laughs> anything like where, where do you think the, the, the runway is? Yeah, I, I feel like from a business standpoint, I'm planning on basically another 12 months mm -hmm. of just impact to people being able to pay rent mm -hmm. on, a, on a full kind of schedule or going back to where we were. Um, obviously, I think there'll be re lasting ramifications in the real estate world uh, based on this in terms of people's use of space and how they, how they look at real estate. Um, but I, I think that until there's a vaccine, or, you know, or mm -hmm. people feel like they can truly just go out, uh, it's, it's probably not going to really quickly bounce back. And I, and I think that's probably personally just projecting about a year. Mm. Um, but I think when it does come back and talking to all these restaurant guys that are my tenants and, you know, meeting with different CEOs or different restaurant groups, it's going to bounce back hard. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic when it comes to, I think the future of how we use our urban spaces will be, will be good again, mm -hmm. um, especially on the retail side. But, um, but, but until then it's, you know, it's going to be shitty. I agree. <laughs> so could have just summed it up in, it's going to be shitty. <laughs> so if you, everybody I talk to has, has developed some sort of new like habit or ritual oh, yeah, routine yeah, like all during kinds COVID. Of stuff. Yeah. What, what's, yeah. what's some big uh, ones for I, you? I became a day trader. <laughs> like, like all these guys, I was like sitting at home watching CNBC. I'm like, I can buy that stock. You know, let's, let's, let's do that. So I did that. And then I, I it was funny. I was telling the, one of the guys in my office today, I was like, I know I got to get out of the market now because I thought I was buying some, some stock, actually a restaurant company, mm -hmm. you know, us foods, they delivered the food to restaurant companies. And I thought I was like, Hey, th that market's coming back. I'm going to, I'm going to buy that. And I accidentally shorted it. Okay, so it was just the opposite of buying it, but I made money, and I was like, "Wait, you know, this is this is this is not this is not good." This oh, is, so funny. I was like, "Okay, I got to get out. I got I don't know what the hell I'm doing." Oh, so that's funny. Um, so I did that. I've been doing that. I've been playing a lot of golf. I, you know, I. Uh, that's probably one of the only outdoor activities mm -hmm. that you can do right now and feel feel good about. And so, um, when I'm out of the office, that's I've been I've been spending a lot of time on the golf course. Um, so that's, that's been nice, yeah. It, it, are any of those gonna carry over? I mean, are you gonna remain a day trader? Um, I'm definitely or? not gonna remain a day trader. Um, and my amount of golf I play will probably cut, cut, cut back again. But, um, you know, I, I am trying to like spend more time, you know, I've enjoyed spending more time with the family. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I think I probably, you know, my work day usually starts at 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. and, and then I, you know, I may stay at the office till like six or seven, but then I, three or four days a week, I'm having dinners with guys and having drinks and, you know, and doing the work thing, but also like in a, in a buddy, but you know, like you know, sure, I enjoy, yeah. I enjoy the, the, the kind of hanging out with work colleagues and things like that. And I do that basically, you know, I, pre COVID, I do that like three or four days a week. And, um, and that's kind of the environment I grew up in. My dad worked super hard and he came home and I was already in bed. And mm. so um, I think now, obviously, I can't do that kind of stuff, I'm, and I'm spending time at home with the kids, and um, 
hanging out with them more. And, um, you know, I've done like, you know, drinks on the driveway with a couple of buddies. And yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, finding a, I'm finding ways to kind of balance work and life a bit better. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm still on my phone, you know, at 3 a.m. I'll wake up and I'll like need to send a couple emails out and I just can't sleep. And so I think that part won't change, but how I do it and where I do it. And I've, I've enjoyed working at home. My wife's been amazing. Definitely. Uh, you know, helping me like keep the house quiet when I have conference calls and there's not, you know, dogs barking or kids yeah, running around. Yeah. So it's been, I, I think that some of those things will, will stay afterwards. And so, um, but I haven't picked up any new, new hobbies other than uh, day trading and probably drinking more whiskey and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your, uh, I know you always keep a three to five year, and I know we've kind of touched a little bit on it, um, outside of everything going on right now, what, what are a significant three to five year, what's your three yeah. to five year plan right now? I, I think the, my biggest kind of struggle now, and, and maybe it is COVID or maybe it's not, is like, you know, when is enough enough? You know, like, mm-hmm. like I love what I do, so I don't need to do, I don't necessarily do it for, for to make a paycheck, but, you know, I realize now that I, I, you know, I, could, I could do a lot more at home. I could, ha- I could mm-hmm. hang out with friends. I could travel more. Um, you know, I've never really taken a vacation my whole life. I, when I go on vacation, uh, if I'm not working, I get more stressed out because I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. what, am I, what am I missing out on? So I feel like, you know, there's some of that kind of stuff that I want to do afterwards. Mm. And including, it sounds like you're picking up Muay Thai. Yeah. Boxing <laughs> tomorrow. Artem's Ar- my, you know, I haven't been doing a great job of staying active at the gym until I get a call from Artem. He's like, dude, you're getting fat. You need to, you need to come in. I'm like, all right. He gives, he gives me a hard time and I'm like, all right, I got, I got to get, get back motivated. So That's he kicks my butt. I'm a, he always says like, okay, just one more round. And then it's like five times over. Yeah, it's about yeah, right. Yeah. I actually like to lie to you a little bit in the gym. So something we always try to, to, so to speak, land the plane with here is, is a similar question. And you have a world of experience and, and the way you got there is different than everybody else that, that sat over there. And I think uh, there's been some really, really good, uh, useful pieces of info to share to people watching. But we always ask if you could go back or if someone out there is watching and they're 18, 19, very young, the early stages, they're switching over to USC. They're kind of figuring out, like you said, you didn't really know where you're going as a little bit of a blindfold before you ran to the guy with the rings that you still yeah. don't know. Is what is your consolidated or best advice for someone at that stage in their career, their life, with everything? I, I mean, I guess the theme for my life you know, once I did find that motivation, which I didn't have early on, is to really like find that thing that's gonna like really motivate you, whether mm-hmm. that's being angry or being you know just driven or whatever the whatever lights that fire. Mm-hmm. Find that and then figure out what your what your three to five year plan is. And like you know, people talk about oh have a ten year plan. I'm like ah, that's too far out. He's yeah, like, yeah. where do you want to be in two or three years and just hustle? you know, like figure out how to get that job or do that, take that next step. Mm. And then once you're there, then, you know, figure out the next one, you know, and, and, and I just having those little mini, mini goals has mm-hmm. been, I think what's kind of helped me kind of get to the next stage each, each time in my life. I love it. Well, Hey, you're a natural. Oh, thanks man. It's awesome. Natural it was fun. Here. Yeah. I appreciate it again. <clears throat> Thank you for taking the time. Um, as always, but, uh, unless he's got any questions back there that you want to throw in the ringer. Beautiful. Well, I'm sure we'll see you. We'll definitely see you uh, out and about. Yeah, and look it was, forward to it. It was a pleasure meeting you, even even on camera. Um, but yeah, thank you. All right, thanks, man. Take Appreciate care. it.